Hi there. I'm very excited about my guest, but before I get to my guest, I have a little message from our sponsor. New mommies and mommies and grandmas, have I got news for you. This is the greatest product that I have, the new product that I have seen come along in a long time, the Tush Baby. And you can go to tushbaby.com and I'm going to tell you how to get a discount in just a minute. But first I have to tell you, it's like a fanny pack, except it's sturdy. It's a solid like shelf that you strap around your waist and your baby sits on it or lies down on it or you hold your baby on it. And it saves your arms, your shoulders, your back. It's the greatest thing because it keeps the baby close to your heartbeat. And it's just, it, it's, a, it's a game changer as far as I'm concerned. No more lugging around the stroller. It's a pack that you can put stuff in so you can store a couple of diapers in there. No more lugging around your great big, you know, uh, diaper bag. This thing is an amazing new product. So go to tushbaby.com and you can use the code Sam Sorbo to get 15% off. That's the code Sam Sorbo, all one word. Get 15% off, makes a great Christmas gift. Oh my gosh, I've already given out two this year for Christmas for new babies that I've met. And uh, I encourage you to do that too. So tushbaby.com, you'll see everything below in the details. Thanks. Cool. Bye. I'm very excited to get started on this. I have a few questions that I want to go over with you guys. Some really, some really tough questions that people have been sending in. Um, and feel free to put questions in the sort of chat, the chat room, so to speak. There, um, I'll try to pay attention. <laughs> I will try to pay attention. Okay. Uh, the first question that I want to talk about is uh, my daughter is going into the fourth grade and I don't know where to start to homeschool her. Please help. So the place you start is you start where she is. OK, the job of the educator is to meet the child where she is and to encourage her in her learning adventure. It is an adventure to learn. So. So I did. Uh, at that age, I had already started doing um, English grammar. I love to teach English grammar to children because um, it, it makes sense of language. And when you make the language makes the language, language is the thing that makes the least amount of sense to us, basically, because when we learn language, we learn it just intrinsically. We just pick it up, right? And so we don't understand that there is a, there's a methodology to language, that it is compartmentalized, it is organized, it is structured. And so when you teach a child the structure of the language, you're, you're giving them um, uh, uh, organization out of the chaos. You're removing chaos for them. That's exciting for them. It starts to make sense. It's like solving a puzzle. And I found that uh, incredibly freeing. I didn't know that when I went to school. Um, I was I was always like pretty good in school. Okay, so um, so when I went to school, I studied English grammar, and I enjoyed it because it made sense to me. But I didn't understand why I was enjoying it and why it it was appealing to me. When I became a mother and I started to teach my kids English grammar, and this was just a grammar program, I did Shirley Grammar. Um, it's a grammar program that I found very useful, very easy to use, very easy to teach. 
um, and fun, actually. When I started to do that with my kids, um, they just, they loved it. I mean, I remember, and I, and I tell this story in my book, They're Your Kids, my middle child used to come to me and say, mommy, I want to do the SNV stuff. I want to do SNV. Can we do some SNV? So what is SNV? Subject noun, verb. It's, it's quite simple, but he's a puzzler and he still is today. He's a puzzler. And so to give him the puzzle solutions, uh, he just, he just loved it. And it's, you, so you start, so the name of the grammar curriculum that I really like, that I used, is Shirley Grammar. There's also um, Excellence in Writing that has, is it Excellence in Writing, that has a grammar curriculum. Um, and I'm working on uh, getting a couple that I can put up on my website so that we have, um, so we have affiliations to share with you. Uh, but this is just because I just love Shirley. Uh, they opened up the world of grammar to me. Now I'll I'll issue a little bit of a caveat. With my first child, I did Shirley grammar and I did every single assignment because I didn't realize that they often overwrite the textbooks so that you have plenty to pull from to teach your classes. Um, and in fact, they kind of overdo it. Uh, so my oldest son had the privilege of writing every single essay every week, okay? I found that a little bit onerous. And so for my second child, I didn't make him write an essay every week. I kind of uh, scaled it according to how I was feeling that week and whether I felt like making him do all that extra work. Um, and so I don't, I don't know if this is actually like, if I can make this correlation, but I will say that my oldest child wrote a book at the age of 19 called The BS Guide to Politics. His initials are BS, so get your mind out of the garbage. Uh, and my second child is 19 and has no designs on writing a book whatsoever. It is that because I didn't make him write so many essays when he was younger? I don't think so. But full disclosure, that's just the way, the way that it is. So with Shirley Grammer, you start with a sentence. Well, what's a sentence? Well, a sentence, sentence, sentence is complete, complete, complete. When five simple rules, it meets, meets, meets. It has a subject, 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 and a verb, verb, verb. It makes sense, sense, sense with every word, word, word. Add a capital letter and an end point to, and that's what you get, a sentence. And that's what it's all about. Okay, I screwed up the ending, but that's the jingle. So Shirley Grammer gives you jingles to teach your kids and they learn the jingles and that's fun. And then they know the information by rote because there's a jingle that goes along with it. And I just, it it just, it was so easy and it was fun. And the, the workbooks are, are easy. Now, if your daughter's going into fourth grade and she's never been exposed to grammar, I don't know where she is with grammar. You might want to start with Shirley Grammar 3. You might want to start with Two, um, I don't know if you really need to go back to one, but maybe you want to start with one and just like plow through one and then get to two and then get to three, you know, more quickly. That That's another way to go about it. That's up to you. You need to judge where the mastery comes in. And then once the mastery happens, then you can skip forward a little bit. 
Um, so, so my, so a, a sentence has a subject noun and a verb. So dog barks. Um, what barks? Dog. Subject noun. Label dog subject noun because it answers the question who or what. Who barks or what barks? What barks? Dog. Dog is subject noun. And then the next question is what is being said about subject noun? What is being said about dog? Dog barks. There's your action verb. There's there's the verb. So that's V. And, and Shane, oh my gosh, when he was in first grade, he loved doing SNV. And then you branch out and you've got adjectives and you've got articles and adverbs and they all have jingles. And it makes the it makes language make sense. And that is comforting to a child where everything in the world is new all the time. And they have no, they have limited security. They have limited security. By the way, I had a huge lesson that I want to share with you guys. Um, we went to Israel and on the Israel trip, we had a young mom with us who brought her baby. Her baby was one year old. She has, for the baby, she has a fan, it's basically a fanny pack, but the, the pack itself is more sturdy than just like a sack. And it basically is a shelf and she ties it around her waist. So it's in a sense, it's back support um, and it's a shelf and the baby sits on that. That baby never rolled in a stroller the entire time we were in Israel. It rode right on her front next to her heart. The baby was very seldom very far from her heart or her husband's heartbeat. And that child was the most chill baby I think anybody on the on the tour had ever met. I remember in the two weeks that we were together, that baby cried one time. She was down on the ground and she was going through the rocks and she was trying to eat them. And they said, no, you may not eat the rocks. And at that point, she got very upset. <laughs> so um, I'm just saying, I, I learned a lot. I think uh, we're getting more than education wrong in the United States. And of course, I know that because I know that they're not accomplishing education in our schools, but our approach is all about the, the brain and it shouldn't be all about the brain. It's about the heart and the soul of the child. And so we learned on this trip that if you if the child is secure, because the child knows that mommy and daddy are always literally like touching her. Um, she's tremendously secure and there isn't, there's no crying. I don't know. There was no crying. That baby rode for eight, 10 hours a day, not a whisper, always happy, always good to go. Uh, slept on the bus, didn't sleep on the bus, whatever, just was was along for the ride, just was happy to be included, basically. Now, I mean, I suppose part of it could just be that's a very chill baby, but uh, wow, I, I was blown away. Okay, so, so how do you start with a fourth grader? The way that I would start with a fourth grader, aside from Shirley Grammer, find out where she is in math, so the way you find out where she is is math. Go and pick up um, a math workbook. Go to a local bookstore that will sell workbooks 
take a look at the workbooks that are available. Um, look through them because there's a lot of wokeness now that's it's all over the place. So see if you can find something that is a little bit immune to the the woke agenda, let's say, and start her off in a workbook. Or you can go online and there are free programs online where you can um, uh, generate your own uh, work pages um, just to just to see where she stands with doing some math and work with her on a little bit of math. It's simple. We're not looking at rocket scientry, scientry, scientry. Uh, anyway, science, science, rocket science. Thank you. Um, that was weird. Brain fart. Uh, we're not looking at that. We're looking at addition, subtraction, multiplication, and division. Okay, that's fourth grade math. And so you assess kind of where she is. You here's the, here's the difference in teaching a child what I view the, the, the best way to teach as opposed to the worst way to teach. Teachers in school typically ask questions to find out what the child doesn't know. That is sort of inviting the child to fail, putting the child on the spot in order to go, ha ha, gotcha, you don't know that. That is the, in my opinion, that is the wrong way, the absolute wrong way to go about it. Ask questions that allows the child to show what they do know so that you can commend them on knowing that. And then you expand on that knowledge. So let's say, what do you know about this problem? You put a problem on a piece of paper, eight plus seven equals, what can you tell me about this? Not just the answer, but what can you tell me about this problem? Let's have a conversation about this problem. It's addition, very good. And what about it indicates to you that it's addition? Well, the plus sign, very good. That's exactly correct. What's being added? Uh, eight and seven, did you know that those are called add-ends, for instance? Oh, yes, no, I knew that those are called add-ends. And then what do we call what comes after the equals sign? What does the equals sign mean? What else can you tell me about this problem? Can you tell me the solution to the problem? So you have this conversation, you assess, where is the child? Does she struggle with that? Okay, then maybe we need to set up some addition problems for her and work through them with her. Maybe if she's, if she's uh, uh, at, at the certain phase, maybe she needs some manipulatives so that she can um, uh, count out eight beans and seven beans and put them together and then count them together. And so she gets a, uh, a, like a mind picture, like a map of what addition physically means to, to beans or to pennies or to coins or whatever. Right. And one of the fun things to do math for young kids, probably earlier than fourth grade, but I'm not sure where this fourth grader is in her development is to work with money because money's always fun. Okay, I see a question here. Any suggestions for 12th grade? I plan on using cl classical con conversations. So 12th grade, if you haven't done classical conversations before, is going to be a little challenging um, because uh, it's cumulative. So you might you might reconsider starting in 12th grade, maybe go back a grade or maybe two. I've known several students who graduated from classical conversations challenge three level, which is 11th grade, 
uh, because they they were sort of late to the party, and so they they didn't want to be that far behind. Um, there's there's a lot that goes into the fourth year of high school in classical conversations that is cumulative from what came before. But I will say there are some of the books in there that I just adore, uh, that I highly recommend. So you could, and and in the fourth year, they often get a little bit more lenient. So you can sort of pick and choose what your student is going to study. If your student has already had biology and chemistry, for instance, of course, you're gonna do physics. That's, that's the next phase, right? Um, what else they do? Uh, they do a study of the Psalms. They do um, the Discoverers was I thought was a phenomenal book. Some of my students disagreed with me. Uh, it's a history book that looks at history from a completely different perspective than we are used to. Um, it covers the invention of time, for instance, that is something that typical history courses don't don't even cover. Um, it it uh, talks about the development in the Far East and how that and how that development uh, influenced the Western development and vice versa. Um, so, yes, I've got somebody here who's doing classical conversations and she thinks that it's been a huge blessing. I tend to agree with you. That's why I'm still involved. Um, so uh, so you so, you know, the the main point with education is stop focusing entirely on academics. Yes, academics are a good part, but education is so much broader than that. So somebody's asking me how old my kids are now. And if I have grandchildren, thank you. No grandchildren yet. Hopefully soon we'll see. My son has, uh, he's driven to have 10 kids and he's 21. So he wants to get started really fast, but he, he has to find a girl uh, first because that's how that works. It's, it's biology. Um, so, so yeah, my oldest is 21. I have a 19 year old and a 17 year old, uh, two boys. And then my last one's a girl. Okay. Next question. Um, I hope that I, I hope that I managed to answer the fourth grade question. You've got, you've got the basics. We'll talk about reading, writing, and arithmetic, because those are the basics of, um, of academics. And so before I move on from the fourth grade, from the fourth grader curriculum question, think about your reading. And I urge you to go find a, a source for living books. I've put some sources on my website also, uh, so you can check there. You want to find living books. You want to find classic literature because it, um, it engages the child on a different level than popular fiction. Do not expose your children to popular fiction. It is a minefield and it will blow up in your face. I, I guarantee it. So just, just shy away from all of that. Uh, it is pablum. It is dumbed down. It's infantilizing for children. Uh, and so there's, there's really no good that can come out of it. I, now I'll issue a caveat that there might be some good current fiction that's come out recently of which I am completely unaware. My kids are older, so I'm not paying that close attention to the newer editions, but like Diary of a Wimpy Kid and uh, those kinds of things are, um, they're bad reading. They, they train the child to read wrongly. Uh, they don't challenge the child. They make reading in a sense boring 
and um, uninteresting. And so I would steer clear of those and get the hard stuff. Don't don't over challenge the child, but get the hard stuff, get the good literature that that grabs the um, imagination of the child and really engages them. Can I do 11 and 12th grade in one year with classical conversations? So I don't recommend any other curriculum uh, aside from classical conversations. It is school in a box. You can do 12th grade and you can incorporate some 11th grade. It depends on your tutor. Uh, if you are going to be the tutor, then you can do whatever the heck you want. So you know where your student is and what you will require of your student to give them their diploma because you're going to graduate them. You're in charge. And so uh, use classical conversations as a guideline. Look at 12th grade, look at 11th grade. If if you have the, for instance, if you're the tutor or or you've got sort of a good relationship with both tutors or something like that, then figure out the hybrid program that will serve your child the best. The struggle that you might have is the Latin. Latin is obviously cumulative. And the Latin in year four is um, only reading and translating, as far as I remember. Uh, it, I, it's been a couple of years since I did uh, the year four, so... You know, and and it's been more than that since I did year three. So um, I can't say for sure, but uh, I think you you want to sort of dive into that and figure out what makes the most sense. I really like the theology in twelve, but I also like the theology in eleventh uh, grade too. Um, so I am the educationally disadvantaged theater teacher at my school. I don't know what that means, darling, Jean. Betchy. Uh, I don't know what that means. Um, so back to classical conversations, try try, see if you can figure out a hybrid for your student and work with your student. I really encourage parents. This is a partnership. You are, you are escorting your child to adulthood. So it's a partnership. So you say to your child, you know, let's find something that's really interesting for you. And then you, we compromise on the stuff that I really want you to have. And you find some sort of common ground to, to give them a little bit of autonomy. You want them investing in themselves. That's what it is. I use paper pie, used to be Usborne books for my nephew. I'm not familiar with that. So I'm not sure um, how to answer that. Hell's only cutie, but I do like your, your moniker. Um, next question. My five-year-old nephew who lives with us is at a crossroads. He's been diagnosed with combined ADHD and level one autism, and he's greatly influenced by others. I am incredibly concerned. I need advice and information about homeschooling. Okay. Level one autism. I'm not sure. I haven't heard of autism being referred to in levels. Uh, I and I can't say for sure if that means that he is high functioning or low functioning. And so the response would differ depending on how how high functioning he is. But it sounds like he might be high high functioning. He's greatly influenced by others, which means you don't want him in a school setting necessarily. Also, ADHD is not uh, conducive to a school setting because there are lots of distractions. Um, I've heard that uh, spending time outdoors every day does wonders for combating ADHD. 
I also am leery of diagnoses that um, label things and then all of a sudden you're sort of stuck with it and there's almost nothing you can do about it. Um, my daughter is going to be shocked. We are leaving CA finally. Any suggestions on how to tell her she will be homeschooled? Yeah, uh, Jen Strom, before you tell her that she's going to be homeschooled, you need to build up all of the uh, all of the excellent opportunities that homeschooling affords. You need to figure out what's gonna what's gonna float her boat uh, about finding out that she's being homeschooled. What you want to do is set it up so that she actually asks to be homeschooled. And so you introduce her to homeschoolers. You do things like um, say, "Wow, you know." Remember when you used to be, because it's already summer, right? This is what I did with my kids during the school year already. I would pick them up from school because my oldest was in second grade. And I'd say, um, so do you have homework today? And he'd say, yeah. And I'd say, that's too bad. You know, if you were homeschooled, you wouldn't have any homework. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Because with homeschooling, you'd be done with your homework already. Okay. And so by the time the school year ended, he was like, mom, are you going to homeschool next year? Is that what you're thinking? Like he was all, all over it. So you want to figure out a way to look, the parent's job is to, I hesitate to use the word manipulate, but if the shoe fits, the parent's job is to, is to inform the child in such a way that the child is, uh, is, is readily accepting of the paradigm that the parent is in. Um, so you you set it up so that your child is welcoming of the idea of homeschooling. And then you say, hey, what do you think? Do you think that would be fun? Do you have any big projects that you might want to work on while you're being homeschooled? Because you're going to have the time to do it. Um, and, and that kind of a thing. And uh, so you feel her out rather than like spring it on her and say, um, oh, brilliant. Thank you. I like that. Uh, rather than spring it on her, like, ha ha, we're going to change everything. And it's a big surprise. Don't do that. That's, that's, that's no fun. Right. Um, yeah. So think about ways to encourage her to be the, if you make it her idea, it'll be a lot easier for you. Right. So if you just introduce it into the conversation, like, yeah, I heard about this homeschool kid and she, she's a horseback rider. She's actually competing in blah, blah, blah. Right. And, and that's because she got all of her homework done by 11 o'clock every morning. It was crazy. I don't know how she did it all, but she's obviously, you know, she just figured out the, how to get it done. And then she went horseback riding every afternoon at one o'clock for three hours. And now she's competing or whatever. Right. So you just work it in. So back to the five-year-old nephew. Um, so ADHD is attention deficit. Autism means that he's gifted in areas that we don't yet understand. That's what that means. So your job is to figure out where he's gifted and lean in. And if, um, and by the way, ADHD, uh, no, sorry, uh, dyslexics predominantly go into math and engineering. Uh, so we look at dyslexia as, you know, a curse, but it's not necessarily a curse. So don't look at these diagnoses as curses. Uh, look at them as um, opportunities to better refine the education of your child because you know more about him than the average bear. That's the way that I would uh, look at that. 
I would be concerned about putting him in school. And I would also tell you he's five. So in terms of homeschooling, just lay off, read to him, read good books, find good books, find good manipulatives that he enjoys working with, for instance. Don't, don't lean into academics as much if he's not responsive to them because that will frustrate him. Seek not to frustrate him. Seek to draw him out so that he's interested, so he's the one leading the charge. When he figures out what interests him, he will drag you along, especially five-year-old boys, right? Um, so, but he's your nephew, so I don't know how much control you have over this. So good luck with that. Okay, um, next question. I'm a single mom and have to work full-time out of the house, but want my kids out of public school help. Okay, unfortunately, you... <laughs> You didn't give me quite enough information to really lean into answering this question as fully as I, as I hope. Uh, so I'm going to sit on that for just a minute and read this question. 15-year-old daughter is teaching herself sewing, costume, makeup, props, Korean, <laughs> Korean, piano, and digital art. I just watch her. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now get her a job, figure out where she can find work in any of those areas and get her paid for some of it, right? Because, because that's, that's how you engage in the culture while she's doing her, the thing that she loves. And that way she'll be able to refine what she's doing so that it will serve her in the future, if that makes sense, right? But that's pretty awesome. She's teaching herself Korean. My my daughter's my daughter's super autistic and started teaching herself Japanese. So she was coming to us with, you know, they have six alphabets and da da da. And I'm like, no, I didn't know that, but okay. It's fun. It's fun when you empower your children to teach themselves. And that's really what this is all about, folks. Don't keep your eye on the keep your eye on the prize. You're trying to teach your children how to teach themselves so they can learn anything they want at any point in their lifetime. Um, okay, so need to work full-time out of the house and she wants her kids out of public school. So there are a lot of different ways to get that done. I knew uh, a mom who had two young girls who took a job. She was a bookkeeper. She took a job as a bookkeeper in a shop and she rented a flat upstairs and her daughters spent the day in the flat and she trained them to behave. And then she would go up on breaks and at lunchtime. And they didn't live there. They lived somewhere else. They would commute to this place and she had the flat upstairs. I have no idea, you know, more specifics than that. I know that that's part of what her journey was because she was a single mom. She worked full time. And that was one situation that she arranged. Um, there are others. Uh, there's a situation where there's a mom who works and her daughter accompanies her to work every day. Um, that's a harder, that's that's a harder, a more challenging prospect to fill if you have a young boy because they tend to be a bit more rambunctious, but it depends on where you work. If you work with horses, then certainly he could probably accompany you to the stables every day, right? Uh, you train your children. We teach the kids. We teach the kids a lot at summer camp, and they always enjoy it. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Um, so, so there are different ways of getting that done. It depends on what kind of work you do. 
Um, how much money you need to earn, you know, right, dictates what kind of job you can accept. Um, I was talking with a gal who is a dental hygienist. And she said during the pandemic, her young boy, well, how old was he? Uh, probably nine or 10. And he would come to work with her on the days because th there was no school, but the but the the dentist's office was open and she worked. And as a dental hygienist, uh, she worked three, three days a week, something like that. And so he would come to work with her and he would sit in the break room and he would do his work. You You need to find an employer who is a little bit open-minded about these things and work a deal and you train your child and she trained her child. You stay in the break room. If you need me, you, you know, you don't bother me while I'm with a patient. If you see I'm with a patient, you, you know, wave at me and go back to the break room. I'll come find you when I have a break, this kind of thing. And so you have this conversation. It's, huh, it's so important for parents to understand that there's a partnership between you and your child. And yes, your child is still a child and they have to grow into that partnership. That's that's the beauty of it. But when they are nine, 10, 11, 12, they are growing into it. And so you you hold the bar, you hold it just a little bit higher every 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 year, right? Every week, every month. And and they grow into it. And you you show them what's expected. And you don't berate them when they don't live up to it. You 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 correct them gently you correct them so that they understand oh i i didn't behave properly there okay i need to fix that and and that kind of a thing so um so that i guess that's that's the best answer i can come up with i don't know how i don't know how many kids you have and i don't know how old they are but i understand your need to pull them out of public school i i would feel the same way there is a way to do it. Uh, there's got to be. Find a co-op. Find another mom who works. Work opposite shifts. Um, I knew a guy who, I, I tell this story because this guy's like my hero. His He's married and his wife refused to homeschool. And their son was flunking, seventh grade, flunking. So the school said, we're going to hold him back a year. And the father said, you, you can't do that. that that'll that just kill his self-esteem. All the kids will know that he was held back. And they were like, well, that's the best we can do uh, because we failed to teach him seventh grade, right? It's the school's failure. It's not the kid. The kid's not stupid. He gamed the system, sure, a little bit in seventh grade. That's what kids do. But um, the dad said, okay, fine. I will work nights. And he shifted, he's a shift worker. He shifted his shift to nights. And every night in the morning, he would come home from his shift and he would teach that boy seventh and eighth grade over the course of the next year. They got through seventh grade, they got through eighth grade in one year. And then they put him back in school for ninth grade. And his wife had basically nothing to do with it. But home education takes at the most for depending on the age of the child, but I mean, at the most, it's a cumulative three hours a day for the parent. And that's if the parent is really fully engaged and reading everything and really working it. It's it's not even three hours. I can't, it's not three hours for the parent. It's an hour to two hours for the parent every day. 
It's really not that much. Now, some of it's just supervision. Like you have to make sure that because some kids get distracted or whatever, you got to keep them on task. You got to lean in a little bit. You've got to pay attention to what they're doing. You've got, right? So there's a little bit of that, but you're like hands-on, focused on their work, not your work. That's an hour or two a day. Seriously. Okay. Then, then maybe some days you're going through the essay with them and you're like, okay, why is this not a sentence? Can you tell me why that's not a sentence that you've written there? And they read the sentence and it doesn't have a verb, right? And so they have to correct. Like that's the hands-on stuff that, okay, yeah, that's a little bit more labor intensive. But my point is that educating a child and okay, we're talking about a single child. You have more than one child, then then it's it's more work, right? Because per child, you've got to parse it out a little bit. But if you're only if you're educating one child, that's like that's like a good hobby in terms of the time invested by the parent on on you know focused attention on that child. It's like a hobby. It's not a job. It's not a full time job. It's not part time work. Does that make sense? Um, the, the work is done by the student. The parent is the supervisor. So you can supervise the student and still get your work done. And it takes a little bit of, you know, juggling and handling it. Uh, next question. Uh, I'm going to, oh, hold on, I want to go back here. Here we go. Worst of all are the parents who expect, quote, I'm an adult and you have to do what I say and you have an obligation to me. <laughs> yeah, that's not a winning strategy. Like, well, here's what I don't under. Well, no, I understand this. What we were never taught, right? Because we went to school and so we missed out on a lot of just adult training, right? You got to pick the strategy that's going to win for you. And the, I'm an adult, you have to do what I say. And you're obligated to me because I gave birth to you. That is not a winning strategy. Who in their right mind would buy that as, a, as an argument to convince somebody to do what I say? No, it's not a winning strategy. And, you know, as a parent, your job is to teach your child winning strategies so that they can win. Like, that's what it's about. So, I, I mean, I'll tell you, um, I have one child who who tends to uh, be a bit overbearing, trying to get uh, uh, their way too much. And I've I've pulled them aside and I'm using the wrong pronoun because I don't want to give away the gender of the child because then maybe whatever. So I pull this child aside and I say, this isn't a winning strategy because you're really annoying people with that behavior. So how could you change that behavior to actually win? And they wouldn't even know that you were winning. Think about that. What could you do? And I challenge them to modify their behavior because I want them to win, okay? I don't even care if they're winning against me. I'd prefer that they win, right? I will gladly lose to them if it means they're winning because then I've done my job right? The parent's job is to fail. The mother's job is to fail. The mother is supposed to be uh, necessary until she makes herself unnecessary. Her job is literally to fail. And so when you look at it that way, then you have to figure out how to empower your children to win. 
And so you, you find way and you have to be cajoling. You have to be winsome yourself in order to convince them, right? They have to feel like you're on their side. So even if you go up against them, they understand that you're doing it for their benefit. And this is, and this is what I've done with all my kids. And, you know, we've had some interesting um, clashes and then they, uh, they come out the other side and they go, wow. Yeah, mom, thanks. I, I get it now. Right. And, and so I've empowered them. And the next time that we clash, they'll probably win because they've, they've figured it out. Um, or we'll both win or something. I, I, I probably said that a little bit wrong, but okay. Uh, we're considering homeschool, but don't know where to start or finding the curriculum that will work best for them. I would love your help. So I, I absolutely love this question because it has so little to do with curriculum. And I know that that's the, that's the starting place for people. And it's, it's not the end place. It's not even a good starting place, frankly. So that said, it's the only place that we know for education. We think education resides in curriculum. And so we look for a curriculum because we figure if we, uh, if, if we apply the right curriculum, we will achieve education. But it's like, what icing should I use on my cake? Well, you don't have a cake. So how can I tell you what icing to use? That's probably not the best analogy, but it is kind of like that. Let's, let's bake a cake first and then you can use icing, right? So we'll talk about curriculum. Uh, we are considering homeschooling. Here's my problem with your question. I don't know how old your kids are. So for the very young kids, I wouldn't do any curriculum. You can start curricula in first grade if you want, because there is first grade curricula. There are plenty of them. I always recommend Christian curricula because it, it adheres to my worldview. If your worldview is different than mine, you might want to find a curricula that adheres to your worldview, but I still recommend Christian curriculum. Um, I shy away from too much curricula because it seems to be very, uh, in a sense, litigious. And so you think as long as I check the if I check all the boxes and, and, you know, dot all my I's, then we will achieve education. And that's not how it works. Uh, it's, 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 a, it's, it's not even a good starting point, but it is a starting point. So I'm not going to say don't do it because you don't know what else to do, but understand that it's, um, it's, it's more than that. There's more to it than that. And once you, it's, it's like that, once you get started, you'll you'll figure it out pretty quickly, and then you'll go, oh, okay, now I now I understand what she was talking about. So for curriculum, uh, for first grade, again, I recommend Shirley Grammer. I love grammar. Teaching grammar teaches children that there is organization inside the seeming chaos, and they love that. Uh, same thing with math. Teaching them a little bit of math curricula I use for younger kids. I always just went and got workbooks. And I had one child who just adored the workbooks. The other ones just did the couple pages and moved on. Um, and that was fine. Uh, so reading, writing, and arithmetic. So reading would be the other one. Go get yourself some good um, fiction. And oh, what was the thing that I just saw the other day? I love this quote. I think I'm going to tweet this. Um, Well-written fiction is often more instructive than textbooks. Well-written fiction 
is often more instructive than textbooks. For instance, history, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend a history curriculum per se. I would recommend books, fiction books that represent true, true stories about true characters in history. I would do that before I did any kind of history curricula because curriculum today has been so diluted and dumbed down as to make it unpalatable. It's just dry and, and you know, you don't, it's like, ew, memorize this, you know, it, it's, it's no bueno. So I would just go to fictional history, uh, historical fiction. Um, and there are plenty of those books. Read about George Washington, read about Thomas Jefferson, read about uh, Napoleon, read about, read about wars, read about struggles, read, read, right? Um, for younger kids, I really liked History of the World. That's what I did with my kids. It's available on audio, so you can put the, the CD on for the kids, and they can just listen to the book as they read along with the book. Uh, my kids loved that. I loved it because it was hands-off for me, so I just got them set up. They did their chapter in history. Um, it's great storytelling. It starts with the beginning of the world. It's not specifically Christian. It certainly isn't anti-Christian. It is fairly, I would say, it it's, keeps a fairly neutral point of view. Um, and uh, so I appreciated that about it. Uh, so it didn't dig in on the Christianese and it didn't um, repel the Christianese either. Uh, but it starts with like the, the foundations of civilization, the Fertile Crescent, Mesopotamia, Sumer, all of, all of that stuff. And then it just goes through. Um, so I really appreciated that curriculum. Let's see. And that they, they do workbooks. Uh, I got the workbooks. We ended up not really doing them. They just weren't that interesting. It's like, uh, what can we give the children to keep them busy? And my kids saw right through that. And they were like, do we have to do this? And I'm like, no, because <laughs> that's the kind of parenting I did uh, when we were, when they were young. Um, we did, if, if the project looked fun, like bake, whatever this thing is, then yeah, okay, we could do that. Or um, my daughter did enjoy coloring. So the coloring pages she enjoyed from time to time. So uh, let's see. And then the then other reading, there's other reading that's just fun to do. There's science, science reading, read about forests, read about rivers, read about fish, read about animals, read about just the natural sciences, just what's happening in the world around you. Uh, and then send your kids outside to collect leaves, identify the leaves, press them, put them in a book, organize them. If, if, if your kids like to do that kind of thing, then have them do that kind of thing. Your job is to discover things about your children, about how, how they perceive the world and how they want the world to, to be and help them facilitate so that they create the world around them to be the world that they want it to be. Also, at the same time, appreciating how the world really is. Um, okay, I've got one more question here. I just found out my 14-year-old daughter says she's gay and has a girlfriend. I'm at a loss how to continue support. I don't want her to get depressed because she's done stuff in the past. So I may be out of my depth here. 
Uh, I think you need to seek counseling with your daughter. I think uh, if I can't tell if you're a church person, if you're following me, you probably are. I would look long and hard for a good um, Christian counselor. Um, I would certainly talk to your daughter and say that this choice is not a successful choice. Regardless of how she feels, that choosing the gay lifestyle is a much more difficult lifestyle, just in general. Now, there are plenty of people out there probably would disagree with me uh, who are living a gay lifestyle, and uh, that's possible. But um, she's 14. She is not fully formed. She is making decisions. By the way, she's 14. Uh, 14 year olds should not be engaging in any kind of sexual activity um, that that just shouldn't be. Uh, she should be taught to preserve her um, her virtue. Uh, she's 14. My goodness. Why is this even a conversation? Who is feeding into her that this is a possibility? Um, so I, I would and and. I would take the approach, and this is just me here. I would take the approach, listen, I'm on your side because I love you and you're my daughter and I want to help you through this. Uh, but this is a very difficult choice. I don't think that you have the maturity to make this decision right now. I don't see that this decision is, is necessary at all because you're only 14. So you will not be doing anything about it. And... Um, you will change in myriad ways before you reach your 18th birthday. So we can kind of stick a pin in this. There's no reason to make any groundbreaking decisions right now. And let's talk about virtue and honor and your future and what you want out of life. Okay. And the reason I say that is because I interviewed Chloe Cole, who, who was the, um, the young girl who was convinced that she was transgender in California and her parents were worried. They were told that she was more likely to commit suicide if they didn't go along with this whole transgender thing. And so they went along with it. Please don't let the mob scare you into making decisions that you know are incorrect. Um, anyway, she went through with top surgery which she explained to me was not only extraordinarily painful, but continued to be extraordinarily painful. And she was not prepared for that by the people who performed the surgery or talked her into the surgery or anything. Uh, it is exceedingly painful what they do. It is uh, a very, very long healing process. Um, she was still not entirely recovered when we spoke, and that was months and months after she had gone through it, because not only had she done the surgery, gone through the whole transition with the hormones, et cetera, she had decided that it was the wrong decision to make, and she had transitioned back, okay? And even then, she was not healed. I can't even begin. So the thing that she saw that made her heart stop and made her realize that she'd made a tremendous mistake 
was she saw a young mother nursing her baby. And Chloe, and this was after her surgery, she said to herself, oh my goodness, I'm never going to be able to do that. Now, you would think at 15, somebody would have said to her, you know, if you go through the surgery, you will never be able to breastfeed. But at 15, you don't hear words the same way. So even if somebody had said that to her, other people were saying, you're transgender. You need to do this. This is the best thing for you. Otherwise, you're going to commit suicide. Whatever they were saying to her. So when you find yourself in this situation, hit the pause button. Say your decisions, there are no decisions that need to be made right now. You, uh, we, we can have this discussion and I'm happy to engage in this discussion with you. I want to know where this is coming from because it's a very difficult choice in terms of the repercussions that you will bring into your life. Um, yeah, that would be, uh, and I, and I would, I would, uh, try to figure out what to do about the girlfriend because, uh, there are toxic people out there and I don't know anything about the girlfriend, but I would just consider that maybe, uh, there's some dangerous things that are happening, manipulations that are happening. That's what I would say to that. Wow. That was a really tough question. And I probably, um, put my foot in it, but so be it. Oh gosh, I didn't realize I've got a lot of, uh, a lot of extra people here. How to ensure peer socialization for homeschoolers. So um, I will sim simply tell you very quickly, because we got five minutes, my experience with uh, socialization. My son in first grade was using my phone to arrange all of his own playdates. I encouraged that because he was very social. My other two not so social. They each grew up with a single friend. That's all they wanted. That's all they ever wanted. I kept encouraging them because I was like, maybe they need more friends. No, no, thank you. Not right now. No, thanks. Not interested. No. So uh, I think that we have a very skewed idea of what constitutes socialization. Um, make sure that you go to some events one day a week with other kids around is plenty. For some kids, it's not enough. For other kids, it's too much. So my my daughter is, uh, I, I, sometimes I think God gave me these children to teach me like the whole gambit, right? Because I've got the one son who is extremely extroverted. And then I've got my daughter who's extremely introverted. And so for her to spend the day in a class of five children is too much one day a week. She comes home and she sleeps for three hours at the end of that day. So I'm just saying, like, don't think that your child needs to have socialization every day with other children in order to, to turn out normal, because that's just completely a misnomer. It's just, no, no, I just reject that out of hand. Okay, let's see if I can do any more very quickly. Thank you for this talk, for these very interesting and honest insights more like this, it's important to talk about it. Yes, thank you. I'm going to be doing more of these, so stay tuned. Please go join my locals. It's samsorbo.locals.com, and you can join for free. It's just an online community. You can ask me questions there. 
Um, and uh, there, I have lots of resources over there also for you. And then, of course, samsorbo.com is uh, the best place to find all of my stuff. I have to say that most of what I learned, I actually only learned after I graduated from school. I hear that all the time. You actually learn for and with life through experience and not the school and not for the teacher. This is true. So that's, yeah, that's that's about it. Uh, I'll be doing more of these. Um, I have another resource that I'm coming out with soon, which I'm excited about. My playbook for home learning is still available. It is a 15 video series. So if you buy the playbook, you get the free videos. They live online, so it's really easy. It's like a subscription to the videos. And then I have all the videos from the conference that are up there also. Please go follow me on Rumble also. What am I missing here? Um, I do have a podcast. The YouTube took me down for a while and I couldn't post anything for a while. So uh, so just go over to Rumble. Let's let's do our exchanges over there or our, you know, my podcast will be over there. And then uh, go to locals.com and join the community there because I really want to grow this community so that we can exchange information because, you know, I've got three kids and they do run a gamut from one end to the other, but not necessarily for other things. And other people have other kinds of kids. And, you know, we're all trying to get this figured out. But do understand, God gave you your children to teach you lessons. So be open to that. Be receptive to that. And join your kids. This is a partnership. You bringing your children into adulthood and your children honing you as an adult and making you better as a parent. And that's that's really what it's all about. It's a love story. It's probably the greatest love story of your life. Um, and uh, so I wish you luck in it. Thank you so much for tuning in. This will be posted and um, all the best.